everybody, and welcome to another episode of Book Goodies Author Series of Podcasts. My name is Deborah Carney. I'm your host, and I have with me today author and innovator <laughs> Ben Coleman. How are you today, Ben? Hi, uh, I'm great today. Thanks, Deborah. That's awesome. Um, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and let us know some of the things that you're working on? Uh, sure. My name is Ben Coleman. I'm an artist uh, living and working in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Uh, I work in fiber arts, uh, primarily with paper or actually entirely with paper. Um, I write origami books uh, and I write books on a new technique I developed called makigami. Okay. I like that. Um, can you explain what that is? Uh, well, uh, makigami is, uh, is uh, we take uh, newspaper and we saturate it in a, in, a, in a liquid and then very tightly roll it and braid it to make jewelry. Uh, or we can roll multiple layers of paper on top of each other to make uh, thick branches for uh, origami bonsai sculptures. Um, and you take this... Uh, this tightly rolled paper and that's been saturated in the liquid and then rolled and you I put it in my car parked in the hot sun to cure it oh nice no ovens needed it it comes out of the car hard as a rock Um, very cool it's a very environmentally friendly art form I was just gonna say it's very green there's there's no ovens involved now what part of the country do you live in uh, well, um, uh, Pawtucket is in the northeast of the United States. I wouldn't uh, normally think of that as a place where your car would get hot inside. Well, in the summertime, in the summertime, the car will reach as high as uh, 120 degrees inside. But even in the depths of winter, you can still get 90 degrees in your car uh, on a sunny day. Never thought about that. That that that's pretty. That's pretty awesome. All right, and then now let's talk about your publishing journey a little bit. You've you've got several books published, some of them traditionally, and some of them um, by yourself or independently, I should say. We never do anything by ourselves anymore. Um, tell me a little bit about your books. Uh, okay. Well, I wrote my first book after I got laid off. Uh, I was. Uh, working as a uh, manager for a production line uh, for a company that built propane delivery trucks. Okay. And I suddenly got laid off, and, uh, and uh, this was just before the recession began. So at, when my unemployment ran out, the recession began. Oh, no. <laughs> and it was, it was clear I wasn't going to get a job. And I had been doing a hobby art uh, where I was uh, folding leaves and flowers and attaching them to real tree branches. And I looked around my apartment, and I had a massive overstock. Sales had, had died cold because of the recession. And I said, geez, I ought to write a book. And I wrote my first book, which uh, is called Origami Bonsai, and it was published by Tuttle Publishing. And, uh, and, and that got me started writing books. That's and it's it's a how, it's a how-to book. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, Origami bonsai teaches how to uh, paint paper and then fold it and then attach it to real branches so you can make sculptures for gifts and to decorate your home. 
I love it. I'm going to have to go look it up. Um, I have a craft website, and for the longest time, I ranked really, really high for origami because apparently I was the only one that had, like, uh, sites that were related to it. So, um, And it was something that always fascinated me because I'm not a very good... I'm a photographer, and I'm not very good with making things with my hands, and but I always love the origami that you know it's it's like a paper it, it's paper art and it it looks cool and it's fun to do and it's nice to surprise people with what you come up with but then you know kids and life got in the way so I never actually tried it. <laughs> well, I think you just put your finger on something that's very important regarding origami as an art, and and that is that people do think it looks cool. But people also think it's not really functional. Right. In other words, you fold something and you put it on a shelf and that's nice. Right. And origami bonsai for the first time allows you to fold something and hang it on your wall and have people look at it and go, wow. Um, so it's, it's no longer just putting it on your shelf. And actually, uh, people are selling their work. Uh, there are a bunch of people selling their origami bonsai sculptures on Etsy. It's turning into a whole little uh, new art market. Well, and I love that you combine the two things together because bonsai are, you know, small trees and origami is, you know, small paper or big. You can do, I'm sure it can scale, but it, it takes a couple of different things and puts them together and um, creates something new. And that's something that creative people like us do. I, I love it. Uh, you know, you... You created something new out of a couple things that that you enjoyed. Absolutely. All right. And then now what was your second? And you got that um, self-published? You said that was traditionally published. What was that process like? Uh, It it was uh, uh, fairly straightforward. I I know it seemed to take forever for the book to come to market. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but I think the most interesting thing was uh, what happened when it sold out. <laughs> okay. The book uh, the book went to be reprinted after only eight months on the market. Wow, that's great. So I was notified by Tuttle that they were reprinting my book, and I of course assumed that they that they had printed a hundred thousand copies of my book. Right. And so I I assumed that I was getting a uh, a very big royalty check. Right. And then it turned out that they had only printed 4,000 copies of my book. <laughs> and their royalty check wasn't quite so big. No, it was nowhere near where I was hoping. I, 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 I had run out and talked to a realtor about buying this big studio, and it was very embarrassing. Right. Well, and it was also a reality check for you, I would imagine. Well, I had never thought, I had not realized that publishing uh, could be done on such a small scale. Right. Uh, but I, that's something I, in retrospect that I should have known and should have, should have investigated further. Yeah. Well, but as an author, you were excited that a publishing house was interested in your manuscript and, and wanted to work with you on it. Well, absolutely, especially at the time the publish industry publishing industry was contracting right and uh so you know my friends were like well why why would you even bother (laughs) 
contacting a publisher, you know, no one's going to print your book. <laughs> oh, that was nice. You got to put that back in their faces. Well, absolutely. Actually, there were two publishers that wanted it, uh, but, but Tuttle won out. Okay. And now, because it's such a unique subject, how did the editing for that book go? Did they... Uh, what what kind of editing services did they do with you? Uh, what was that process like? Uh, actually, it was pretty straightforward. I uh, my mother and father are both retired uh, professors from Brown University, mm-hmm. and uh, so they proofread all my work uh, and and make edits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had they had pre-edited everything before it went up to Tuttle, mm-hmm. uh, and there were very few changes that were made. Very okay. That's that's pretty awesome. And then the cover, you're a creative person. Did you have something specific in mind for the cover, and then you worked with them to get it done? Uh, I did have something specific in mind for the cover, but I was totally wrong. Okay. So I had I designed this really busy cover oh. where you know there were hands on the cover and all kinds of stuff going on on the cover and and. In retros, in retrospect, it wasn't a good cover. The cover that they chose was much better. It merely shows a sculpture. It's a very nice sculpture, but it just it shows a cutout of a sculpture, and you know immediately from looking at the cover, you know what, and and reading the title, uh, what the book is about. Okay, and is that book still in print now? Oh yes, absolutely. It's still it's still doing very well. Mm-hmm. I, I should tell you, uh, we I did have an argument with uh, Tuttle uh, about the name. Okay. They wanted to rename the book. Uh, when I submitted everything, I called the book Origami Bonsai, and they submitted it uh, for the final editing, and they came back and they said that it should be called Origami Flower Art. Okay. And you said? And I said... Who do you think you are? If you try and change the title, I'm going to sue you. Um, oh boy, I went off the off the deep end. And uh, at the end of my email, I said, I said, you know, before you rename this book, you really ought to search Google for origami bonsai. Mm-hmm. Because by that time, I was completely dominating the search term uh, origami bonsai. Okay. And uh, I got this this kind of nasty email back from Tuttle that they could name it whatever the heck they wanted, and I, I could hire all the attorneys I wanted to hire, but you know that wasn't part of my rights. However, based on searching on Google, <laughs> they were going to name the book Origami Bonsai. <laughs> nice. So well- so. So hard work in in uh, in indexing things on the web really paid off in terms of the title of the book. Okay, so you built a platform. You had your own website that was dedicated to the book before it even came out. Uh, I had a website called origamibonsai.org, and which I still maintain, uh, but that wasn't the big uh, uh, the big thing that dominates Google. What, what ends up dominating uh, Google search is having videos with those keywords, having stuff on Etsy with those keywords, uh, going to different craft sites and writing articles and inserting those keywords. Th- okay. that's, that's what does the job. 
Okay. So you were a busy guy building your platform as you were writing your book, and you were also creating what you had wrote, written about in the book and getting that up on places like Etsy for sales so that, like you said, you you were able to get yourself in place to be able to be found for those keywords and you were actually building a you were building a market for those keywords. You got it. So when the book came out, if someone was searching your you know, was searching Etsy for origami and they found your origami bonsai and they wanted to look up how to do it themselves, they would find your book. Absolutely. That's great. And and that's a good lesson for writers, whether you're fiction or nonfiction. But, you know, writers in uh, in the craft niche especially, if you want to sell a book about the type of crafting that you're doing or about anything else that's specific that you're doing that's different from the norm, get yourself out there and sell the products that your nonfiction book is about so that um, when it comes time that you write the tutorials or you write the definitive definitive book about how to do it that you know you've got people that are already interested and you also have the success of selling the product itself so people see your name and they see your name on the book and then they see your name on etsy and they're like oh this guy must know what he's doing this product is going to be good i'm going to go ahead and order it yeah, it's called building your brand, and actually, I think it can be done for any type of book. Uh, uh, you just you you have to figure out a way to codify your work, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah. Yep. And and what you did was was actually brilliant. So um, now, from that book, you went on to write. That's the first. That's the first time I've ever been called brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. Well, and because. As creative people, as you know, I mean, writers are creative people, and some are very type A and some are more laid back. But in the in the end, we're all very creative, and sometimes you don't realize when you know because you just did it as a way to do things. You needed extra income. You knew how to do this craft. You put it up on Etsy, you know, and you got it. You did you did guest posts before guest posts were like you know popular. So you have all these links and your name is on all these sites and you don't think of it as brilliant, but it was, you know, you were doing something different from the norm and you took it to a level without even knowing it. That is something that other people should do and follow. And to me, that makes you brilliant. So you, you, you. you saw a need and you filled it. And you took your creativity and made it into something people want, whether they knew it or not. So, and that's what a lot of, you know, a lot of writers, that's what they're doing is they're creating a need for whatever it is they're writing about. You know, you need to know about this or you need to read this because it's fun or you need to read this because it's, you know, whatever. And, and then you build your platform. And that's the part that a lot of writers leave out is the building the platform part. And, and honestly, I think that it's the building platform part that's the most important mm-hmm. piece of the puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because when you get your book, you know, okay, so Tuttle published your book, and they did some promotion, because back then they were still, you know, publishing houses did some promotion for you. Um, unlike now, where everybody's budgets are tighter and they don't do as much. But you helped in that process a whole lot, because... 
you already had your audience. You know, you could have gone out and self-published and still had your audience and probably would have sold your book just as well. But it was a good experience for you to go through the traditional publisher. You know, you, you learned some things, you butted heads on some things, but it was a process that probably helped you in your subsequent books. Uh, well, I, I have to agree and disagree. Um, first and foremostly, uh, Tuttle does almost no uh, promotion, okay. promoting at all. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, they, <laughs> they, 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 they do very little. Um, but what they do have is a vast distribution network right? Uh, that's worldwide. And so uh, my, my published book outsells – sorry, my conventionally published book outsells my self-published books by about 150 to 1. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and I think that's mostly because of access. Okay. And because it's a book that people all over the world, people love origami no matter where they are. Yes, I sell I sell more books internationally, though, than I do in the United States. Right. And that's why they sell so much better than your other books is because Tuttle has that, um, they have that reach into those markets that you wouldn't be able to necessarily reach yourself. Absolutely. So, and then that's that's a decision making factor for people who are trying to decide between traditional and self publishing. Is you need to see where do you want your book to go and who can get it there. You know, if you can get it there on your own, good. If you need a traditional house to do it, then you know you pursue that. Um, all right. So after the success of that book and you got that book going, what did you follow up with? Uh, well, actually, I wrote. The, uh, the second book in the Origami Bonsai series before the first book came out. Mm-hmm. So the book Advanced Origami Bonsai was released in 2009 okay. b- before Origami Bonsai came out. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I sold a whole slew of them to uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil. I guess uh, some Japanese settled there after World War II. Okay. And they all speak English, so they discovered it on the web and... and they, I was shipping all kinds of books down to Brazil, which, nice. was, a trip, which was a trip. It was funny. Yeah. Uh, and then I wrote another book called uh, Origami Bonsai Accessories. Okay. And that came out just after Origami Bonsai came out. Um, and that's another book. I should say my electronic books are on DVD. Okay. Uh, so that's another book on DVD. So do you have anything published, you know, electronically, like on the Kindle and the Nook, or are they all on just on DVD? They're all just on DVD right now, although I'm very seriously considering uh, moving some stuff over, to, uh, over to, to electronic, to Kindle or something. Well, and the reason I would encourage you to do that is that um, the same reason why the people with cookbooks and things are, are moving over um, is that a lot of people aren't using the small readers. They're using like an iPad or they're using a, a larger tablet. And they can, even easier than a book, they can change the pages and go through and look at the instructions and you know do what the instructions are telling them to do rather than having a book that they have to like you know make the page stay open and 
Um, if, if somebody walks by and closes it accidentally, they lose their place. And I think there's a, I think people would consume this series of books if it were available electronically. I'm going to prioritize that now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what you have to think about, you know, like in a classroom setting or, you know, in a workshop setting or, you know, I mean, and they can, re- you know, a workshop can still require everybody purchase a copy of your book, but if they purchase it electronically, it's just so much easier, you know, like I said, it's, it's that whole, I mean, we love our print books and we love our print reference books, but sometimes when you're actually working on a project, you know, you, you'd rather have your tablets. The new generation. <laughs> yeah. Everything's on their phone, everything's on their tablet. Um, and even on the computer screen, you know, you can have the Kindle app for a 17-inch uh, laptop or for, you know, your 22-inch monitor, and, and you can have the page open and be sitting there looking at it and, and creating. So not that I'm trying to talk you into changing your business plan. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's another option that sometimes people don't think about. Um, all right, so now we've got, and the second two books were self-published? Uh, no, I have a, a book called Origami 101, which is published by Creative Publishing International. Okay. Uh, and that's a beginner origami book. Okay. Uh, and then my most uh, recent book is called uh, Makigami, Recycle Newspaper into Beautiful Jewelry. Which is excellent and very green and... Um I I love the way you explained it, where you leave it in the car instead of putting it in an oven. That's just like, you can't get any greener than that. No, and it's recycled newspaper to begin with. So mm-hmm. so it's it's really environmentally friendly. And if, if you want to take it a step further, it's actually carbon sequestration <laughs> because you're taking this carbon-laced newspaper and you're sequestering it in a piece of jewelry that... Hopefully, someone will, someone will wear for a long time. So, it has a negative carbon carbon footprint, or it might have a negative carbon footprint, I should say. I love that. I love that. You have to you have to get on those websites that figure out your carbon footprint, and and plug in your jewelry into it and see if you can get it to start registering as a negative carbon. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So now, how did you come up with the idea for that type of origami and the recycling of the newspaper and stuff? Were you just playing around and and things uh, happened, or actually, that's a very good question. Um, before my first book came out, uh, Origami Bonsai, or Origami Bonsai teaches you to go into the woods and find a nice looking branch and bring it home and decorate it with leaves and flowers. Okay. And, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, oh, my God, what if origami bonsai becomes really popular? Mm-hmm. Oh, people will be going I, in the I, woods I'm, chopping down trees. <laughs> well, I imagined Central Park in New York City being stripped of its branches. Yep. And so uh, the next morning I went to work on trying to figure out a way to make branches. Okay. And my uh, my early model was a, a lollipop stick. I don't know if you remember uh, oh, yeah. sucking on a lollipop, but you'd always finish the lollipop and you'd have a paper stick in your hand. Yep. And that stick is actually twisted paper. Mm-hmm. 
and I started messing around with twisted paper, but it was too weak. Right. And so uh, I I found a way to roll paper and and get it to roll tightly if I if I wet it mm-hmm. with solution. And uh, one and then I ran out of paper. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All I had in the house was newspaper. Okay. So I said, hmm, let's try newspaper. And I discovered that newspaper actually works much better than regular photocopy paper. And uh, and ever since then, I've been just uh, making the recipe for the solution better and better and sort of fine-tuning the whole process. And, and now I think I could make a car out of the stuff. Well, and what you said about um, newspaper is versus photo paper is that newspaper is much more flexible, and it's thinner, and it's much more uh, pliable. You know, it's it's much easier to. I would think that it would be much easier to work with, especially once you got it wet. It's a lot easier to work with, but it also has uh, long fibers. In okay, it. and. Uh, the grain of newspaper is obvious. You can take a piece of newspaper and tear it. If you tear it in one direction, you'll never tear a straight line. But if you tear it in a direction perpendicular to the direction you just tried to tear it, you'll get a, almost a perfectly straight line. And it, it turns out that we roll it perpendicular to that, to the direction of the grain. And what happens as we're rolling the paper is all the long fibers align themselves in the long direction of the branch, and we end up with an amazingly strong uh, finished product. That's great. And again, you know, innovation plus, you know, creativity, and you come up with something that um, is very green and recycles something that people throw away every day and... You know, for moms that are looking for projects for the kids over the summer, this is something that's perfect for them. So, it, I think it's wonderful for kids. Uh, and and actually, I learned how to braid from my niece, and and that led to to my most recent book because <laughs> my most recent book is all about braiding okay. these paper these paper strips. Awesome. Now, let's take a step back for a second. I'm I'm fascinated by the things that you've um, developed. But now you started out with one publisher, and you ended up with another publisher. What were the um, what was the reasoning behind that? Was it because the first book was taking so long to come out, or did you just what was your process in getting the other books published while the first one was still in process? Uh, this woman, Ann Martin, discovered my work on the web. And uh, she was. She wrote a couple of articles about my work, and I sent her a copy of, of the book Origami Bonsai. Mm-hmm. And and she's a fairly known, well-known person. She writes a uh, a blog uh, called All Things Paper. Okay. And she was approached by Creative Publishing International to write this origami book, and she said, "I have no expertise in ex- or in origami. However, I know this guy Ben Coleman who does." Okay. And so she referred them to me. Okay, that's that's a great way to go. <laughs> now I have just finished writing uh, two more books for Tuttle, and a third book which I collaborated on, which is also with Tuttle, and they're all coming out, I guess, next year or or the year after. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am still working with Tuttle. Okay. 
But you just added the other as a second imprint for specific books. Yes, right. Okay, and then did you say you were you did independently publish a couple of books? Yeah, three of three of my books. Three of my books are available on DVD from me directly. Okay. And they're called Advanced Origami Bonsai, Origami Bonsai Accessories, and Makigami Recycle Newspaper into Beautiful Jewelry. All right. Those are awesome. Um, and where is the website that folks can get those from? www.origamibonsai.org. Uh, Okay. And they're all they're also available on Amazon. If you just search origami bonsai, all my products will come up. Okay. And probably nobody else's. <laughs> and, and nobody else's. <laughs> nobody else's. Um, yeah, there'll be a few origami and a few bonsai books down at the bottom of the search because they, they um, just because they do it singly. But um, all right now. As a as a non you know you already told us that your editing process included using your parents who are very knowledgeable and educated and um, since you're nonfiction it's pretty straight up um, so we don't have to talk about editing because anyone doing a craft type book or that type of book it's going to be the same thing you just need to make sure your directions are clear your illustrations or your photographs are good did you use illustrations or photographs in your in your book. I use uh, both illustrations and photos. Okay. Yeah. And did you have somebody else do the illustrations, or are you talented in that area as well? No, I did the illustrations myself. I also uh, developed a new uh, method for illustrating called Glowfold, which is patent pending. Okay. That's one of the derivatives that came out of writing uh, Origami 101 for creative publishing. Okay. And what was that again? What was the name of it? it it's called Glowfold. Okay. And uh, what it does is uh, the area of paper that is going to move during the fold okay. has, has a red glow on it. Oh, nice. That's... It's, also, it's also in the videos. Okay. So it, makes, it makes learning to fold a new model much faster. Uh, obviously. And the video tutorials are on your website or they're on YouTube or both? Uh, there are some preview videos on YouTube, but the video tutorials are, are on a DVD that comes with the book. Perfect. That's, that's brilliant. Um, all right. And what other social marketing media are you, you – know, what other social marketing are you using? It sounds like you've kind of embraced that world. Well, I, I do a lot uh, on Facebook. I also uh, utilize a, a site called Scribd.com, S-C-R-I-B-D.com, mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and I put uh, like um, I've got a magazine called Origami Bonsai Electronic Magazine that okay. I put on that site. But I also I need to tell you about a mistake I made with Facebook. Okay. Um, when I initially, you, you know, you set you go on Facebook and you set up a Facebook site for your book. And uh, and for some reason, I put the wrong HTML code on my website so that if you liked the website, you didn't like the Facebook page. They weren't – it was different. It was, I had the wrong HTML code there. Okay. So I had all these people liking the website, but they'd never see anything I did on Facebook because I had the wrong code on the website. Uh -oh. <laughs> and I only figured it out like eight months ago 
that you know I had like 831 likes being reported on the website, but it, when I went over to Facebook, I only had a hundred people in the Facebook like. Oops. That like yeah, so I finally fixed that. <laughs> Good. And so, so I'm I'm getting I'm getting back my likes, but Facebook is an amazingly powerful marketing tool. Um, I have yet to find a, a, a good reason for using Twitter. Right. I just, I don't have breaking news. <laughs> <laughs> breaking news. Well, your breaking news is the new product you put up on Etsy, the new DVD that you've come up with, or, you know, and you're right. And um, Twitter, uh, <laughs> the, the resounding reason that I'm hearing for authors not using Twitter is that they can't say anything in 140 characters or less. It's you know they just they yeah. just can't compress their thoughts into that small of a space, which I can understand that. Yeah. I, I have to do a lot of editing when I do a tweet, <laughs> and it depends on your industry. You know, I mean, you don't need to be on Twitter if you're on Facebook and you're reaching your audience. The whole point of any social media is to get people to like you, you know, to interact with people, and then to ultimately get them to your website. So, you know, if Twitter isn't comfortable for you, then you don't use it. And if you're reaching your audience through Facebook and uh, guest posts on other sites, that's accomplishing your goal. I'm, I'm, I'm getting very positive feedback from Facebook when I uh, start a project and take pictures as I'm completing the project. Mm -hmm. so, so people are actually checking in to see what stage the project is in. Right, right now I'm working on an origami bonsai chess set. Oh wow! So if you go to origami bonsai on Facebook, you'll see some of the initial photos of the chess set. So people okay. will be able to go back in time and see where that chess set began. But in the meantime, they're following the production of that chess set on Facebook. It's kind of cool. Yeah. And now, are you using any uh, book specific? Um, social media like Goodreads or um, Shelfari or any of those, or are you sticking with mainstream? Uh, I've just been using Facebook. Okay. Um, I, I'm not certain, you know, because I'm I'm doing craft books. You know, I'm not I'm not certain how those other sites would Im impact. Neither does anybody else. Yeah. <laughs> We're just figuring those out. I'm going to be doing a series of podcasts. Um, starting next week that includes people um, explaining how they use sites like uh, Goodreads and Pinterest and, you know, some of the other sites that are peripheral but are focused more on books. Pinterest is obviously not focused specifically on books, but like you are talking about, you know, on your website, on, uh, on Facebook, where you're going and putting up photos so people can follow where your project is, that would be something that would actually be good to put on Pinterest and pin those images so that people could repin and share them with their uh, friends on Pinterest. But uh, Actually, I should have said that I have begun uh, working with Pinterest. Okay. A and lot of people don't consider that a social network because it's so visual. It is. It's very different, and it's, 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 uh, it's actually amazingly easy to to do, mm -hmm. uh, I I don't know, but I, I don't know enough about it yet to talk about it. Right, and I think that's where a lot of us are. So, 
Um, and I appreciate your honesty and you're not going out there saying, well, this is what I'm doing and it's brilliant. And instead, yeah. you are working on the stuff that you're good at. Um, if someone were going to self book, um, someone were going to publish a craft book, if someone came to you and today and said, you know, I'm thinking about publishing a book about something, what advice would they would you give them? Um. Well, uh, I I I think uh, that's a tough question. <laughs> um. Ab- I, I, the first thing to do is to try and figure out if you're doing something unique. Okay. You know, I, I did a lot of web searching to try and 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 figure out whether I was doing something unique or not because initially I couldn't believe that someone hadn't already invented this. It, mm-hmm. it just seemed so obvious to me. So I think it's important that you're either doing something unique or you're doing so, a marginal improvement, using the word marginal in a positive sense. Mm-hmm. Doing a, a marginal improvement on someone else's work, um, and 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 you have to be careful about over innovation. <laughs> right. If, if you truly invent something new, no one will understand it, so it won't sell. Right. <laughs> so, so it's got to be it's got to be broken down in, into tidbits that people will understand. But if you've got something that you feel strongly is worth publishing. By all means, absolutely dive right in. Um, there's tremendous opportunity out there for uh, specialists um, and, and to be found. We've got we've got this thing called the World Wide Web. Yeah. Uh, where 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 Japanese descendants of World War II living in Sao Paulo can find Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Right. <laughs> Um, so there's tremendous opportunity out there, and, and it would be foolish not to take advantage of that opportunity. Well, and in the craft space itself, you know, um, parents are always looking for things to do with kids. And I think that even though you probably have a lot of people who are, you know, not parents with kids, that's that's another whole group of people that you can aim at with your Origami 101. You know, and then you've got the, the um, I hope I'm going to say this right, the Makigami. Yes. And that is that appeals to all the people that are trying to recycle. And it appeals to the parents that don't want to go out and spend a lot of money on um, you know, it's 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 like the um it's like the pot of stew on the stove, you know, where you throw everything in that you've got in the house. You know, yeah. the parents are always looking for crafts that they can just say, Oh look, here's a stack of newspapers, what can we do with them? And, you know, paper mache comes to mind, but now you just took it to another level. And uh, instead of being paper mache and, and glue and messy and, and all that, you're like, oh, well, let's do something that's cleaner, easier to work with, and looks better as a finished product. And, oh, by the way, we can bake it in the car. <laughs> 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 let's give the car another function. And, you know, uh, if you can bake stuff in your car in Pawtucket, you know, people in the South are going to and in the West are going to love you because, you know, you just gave them another reason to, to, you know, not be mad at the fact that the car is 140 degrees inside when they go to go do some errands. Absolutely. I lived in Las Vegas for two years with a car with a black interior. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I was very fortunate to have a garage and you you know when you go into the you don't go grocery shopping in the middle of the day in Las Vegas especially if your car has a black interior you go grocery shopping at midnight um, yep. so yeah um, so that was that, that's, that was actually a very good tip for people and I like asking that question and catching people off guard because it makes you actually think about you know what you know there's other people that can be doing what you're doing but you learned a few things along the way, like, you know, don't make something totally new that no one can relate to. If your product isn't relatable, then it's not going to sell. But if you, if you take something that exists and you make it better or easier or greener, you know, there you go. You've got a hit on your hand. Yeah, that's something that's going to sell. The Makigami book uh, for making jewelry you know, people don't understand what it is because it's too new. Right. Uh, so, so honestly, that that book is not selling well. Uh, but I'm, I'm hopeful that in the future it'll it'll start it'll start selling better. Well, and there's your opportunity for doing guest posts on some of those websites that you did guest posts in the past, and yeah. getting out to the people who have craft sites and that have paper, you know, specifically paper craft sites. And, um, you know, you start your process over again, and then that can be your next big hit because once it catches on and once people have your jewelry in their hands and they see someone else wearing it, you know, they'll be like, oh, that's that's a beautiful piece of jewelry. Where did you get it? And what is it made out of? And, you know, yep. then, uh, then it'll start to catch on. And there you go. Especially get yourself on some of those green websites, you know, the ones that are always talking about, um, you know, what to do, how to recycle, and, you know, find some of those sites and get yourself on. Well, uh, this has all been fascinating, and I'm, I really appreciate your taking the time to spend some time with us. Where Give us the name of your website again so that people know where to find you and your books. OrigamiBonsai.org, or you can just go to Amazon and search for Origami Bonsai. Okay, and you have an Etsy shop? Yeah, it's uh, shop.etsy.com, I think. Uh, sorry, it's Benagami on Etsy. Okay, Benagami. Okay. <laughs> uh, <I'll> spell that. <laughs> B E N A G A M I. Okay. But, but again, if you just search for Origami Bonsai, I'll come up. Right. Awesome. And the same thing on Facebook. They can search Origami Bonsai on Facebook and find you. Yes? Absolutely. Okay. Um, as always, I want to thank you again for being our guest. And one of the reasons I have you give your URLs at the end is a lot of people listen to our podcasts uh, via iTunes or other podcatchers, and they may not have landed directly on our Book Goodies website. And um, this will also be cross-posted to CoolCraftSites.com. So you can either go to BookGoodies.com or CoolCraftSites.com and search for Ben or Origami Bonsai, and you will find the podcast, and you can leave us comments. And you can um, request to be on our podcast. If you go to BookGoodies.com, you can request to be an author as part of our author series. And you can also leave information about your books and tell us about your book. Um, we also want to thank uh, geekcast.fm, who hosts all of our podcasts and other podcasts about internet marketing. 
And, um, you know, you can find us on Facebook and at Twitter at slash bookgoodies on either one. And it's bookgoodies with an IES at the end. And, um, you know, everybody have a great day. And normally I say keep writing, but today I'm going to say keep writing and keep crafting. (laughs) And uh, have a great day. Thanks for listening.